And so, we're gonna be talking about adult bedwetting. We turned, we turned out, out fine! <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Welcome. I am Lydia. And I'm Naomi. And we are two sisters having honest conversations about faith, fuckery, feminism, and everything in between. Yeah. And uh, we've been developing this podcast for about the past year, um, and we really wanted to start discussing some topics that were important to us and uh, that we really weren't hearing conversations about um, on other podcasts or just in regular life. So we really wanted to open up a forum to be able to do that, just like we do in our regular conversations that we, you know, talk, we talk to each other every week and... We feel like we broached so many things that we really wanted to expand that conversation. Yeah, we do tend to uh, foray into a lot of the topics that are tough topics that a lot of people get really uncomfortable talking about or don't like to talk about. And that brings us to what we're going to be talking about today, um, because yeah. this will be the first um, sort of episode in what I think will be a series um, potentially where we can discuss uh, chronic conditions, whether it's like a chronic medical condition or mental illness, um, but people who are living with chronic conditions and just uh, different ways that that can be played out in people's lives um, and not just like what illness looks like, but yeah, just like how it affects people in their daily life and their psyche and uh, being able to be honest about those kind of things so that there's less stigma surrounding them, so that there's less ignorance, more empathy, more compassion, more understanding, and really more connection because I think all of us struggle uh, from time to time and whether it's with a physical sort of condition or whatever else, um, it can just be really helpful to bring a new level of understanding by hearing different kinds of stories. So, yeah. uh, with that... Yeah, Lydia, tell us about what we're going to be talking about today. Um, we're going to be talking about adult bedwetting or uh, enuresis or I guess chronic enuresis. And maybe I should have even kind of like written down a definition of like chronic and enuresis. <laughs> that might be. I tried to look this up the other day That'd because be I one of the, I'm going to I have my phone right here. Mhm. Mm here we go. I actually did look it up because my question, you know, just as a basic was like, is there a difference between this and just incontinence? And, but, you know, Google just defines enuresis's bed bedwetting, you know, nighttime loss of bladder control or bedwetting usually in children. Mm -hmm. And I know that's something we're going to be talking about. Exactly. And, um, so incontinence versus enuresis, I guess just in my experience, I think that uh, the distinction would be that enuresis is a type of incontinence, you know, mm -hmm. nighttime, whereas incontinence in general could be during the day, like, you know, if you cough or sneeze or, um, you know, things like that that aren't necessarily at nighttime. So I think enuresis, as you said, is specifically, you know, when you're asleep bedwetting. Um, and yeah. so the definition of chronic, which I just pulled up here, chronic being an adjective uh, regarding an illness persisting for a long time or constantly recurring. So, yeah, um, I guess this could be what, what I've lived with 
um, and I'm 28 years old, so almost three decades now, is I guess what you could call chronic aneurysis. And um, it's something, you know, bedwetting. It's something that, you know, people get really uncomfortable talking about um, because a lot of people don't talk about it. And I think there's so much, yeah, just like stigma surrounding it because it's normally thought of as something only occurring in children. And so um, teenagers and adults living with it, especially into you know, adulthood as I am in, as I, you know, uh, I think it gets rarer and rarer and like less and less spoke. And there's definitely so much uh, shame surrounding it, you know, um, when I just think of uh, my life and, and how it's impacted, which I'll kind of get into in a bit more specifics. But um, I guess what I'm saying is the reason that I want to talk about this is because, like, kind of as we've said before, Naomi and I are we don't shy away from talking about the kind of things that a lot of people don't want to talk about. I know I definitely don't. <laughs> I think the conversations, the conversations that we avoid having are sometimes the most interesting and they're, it's often the conversations we should be having. Exactly. It's like, if we're avoiding them, we're usually avoiding them for a reason. Um, and there's, and I'll even bring up this right uh, and you can go into this later if you want, but for a long time, this was not something you wanted to talk about mm -hmm. or address. I remember that being as recent as just a few years ago. And so I'm really happy and I'm really, really proud of you for wanting to be public about this. Oh, thank you. Yes. No, I really am because I remember, obviously, I have my own perception of it. And I'll even start off, you know, like just from as children this was kind of a, a normal thing. It's not great, it's not unheard but it's of. normal, you know, and it was, and it was really this, you know, okay, why isn't she outgrowing this yeah. type of thing? It was... And so very early on in, you know, our family, you know, as our family was uh, growing, um, you know, it was more just like, oh, this is something Lydia needs to outgrow. This is something, you know, okay, you just need to figure out and manage it. And that's just not what happened. Or what was able to happen, I should say. Like, yes and no. Because uh, over the years I did, I was able to eventually learn a lot more and, and learn kind of things that help. But, n like, no, it's it's never, it's... It still happens. It's never completely gone away. Mm -hmm. And, um, and yeah, as you said, there was so much talk of, oh, she'll outgrow it. And then it was sort of like, as the years went on and on, there it's almost as if the shame compounded year after year when I, you know, I didn't outgrow it, you know? Um, yeah. So... Let me just try to go in a, in a bit of a storytelling chronological order, I suppose, because that's kind of how I yeah. wrote out my notes. Um, but yeah, um, I guess what I, the point I was trying to get to is just that um, I know that I'm not the only person who's living with this, and I can't be the only person who has struggled with this into, you know, well into adulthood at this age. I can't be the only person, and so there must be others, and... You know, I think I found maybe a few forums on the internet, um, you know, maybe like 10 years ago or so, but I never really got too uh, involved with them or maybe just wasn't able to kind of connect and get a support group in that way, maybe just because it didn't work 
didn't, I don't know, didn't feel like immediately just like the thing for me. Yeah. I don't know. I'm having a hard time describing that, but I suppose it just didn't, I didn't naturally find a, a support, support group through the, the few, very few uh, resources that I was able to find. Um, and so even just uh, as recent as uh, back in 2016, kind of, uh, or 2015, 2016, you know, as you were saying, um, I was, you know, trying to do a bit of, like, the getting a YouTube channel kind of started up and kind of getting into doing regular videos, which I didn't follow through with, so I only had, like, a few videos, but um, I, at, at, even at that point when I was kind of, like, making plans for ideas for future videos, one of them was... Um, kind of considering doing a video where I kind of just sat down and kind of like just opened up about all of this and, and having lived with it and uh, and just everything and like my, my perspective and how it's affected me and how I've like managed it, dealt with it, grown with it, whatever you, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, this is really meant to just be me saying like, you know, there, there are resources, there are like, I suppose... Um, communities out there that are trying to bring more awareness or just even if it doesn't need awareness but just you know community and support because of how kind of misunderstood and and awkward and embarrassing and and you know I don't know just shame inducing of a thing this is to live with and so I'm just trying to create even more opportunity for um, discussion for solidarity for people to know that they're not alone for people to have an example of someone being like, hey, you know, she's she's living with this, she's dealing with this, um, you know. Um, I guess it's just we can all feel less embarrassed to talk about it because it's it's a real thing that if it, if it does affect my daily life and I'm going to talk a bit about that um, as well. And I, we should be able to talk about it because it's pretty much a me- just like a medical condition, you know, and we should be able to talk about it the same way that people can talk about other medical conditions. That's pretty much the purpose, um, my little sort of like uh, why I want to talk about this. So I guess kind of just starting from the beginning, you know, um, when I was a child and, um, you know, at the time when children are usually doing potty training and then not having to wear diapers anymore and all of that, um, I think that, you know, I just took a little while longer and then, you know, I think after I had stopped wearing diapers, there were occasions where I was having accidents in the middle of the day. Um, you know, just not being able to make it to the restroom on time and things like that. And I think maybe that was when I had my first UTI. And then I remember, um, going to, after some time, I don't know, um, all of this, especially in early childhood is going to be super fuzzy, just like vague memories. I remember going to, you know, mom taking me to Texas Children's Hospital and them doing, they did x-rays and they did, um... I didn't, of course, know what it was called at the time, but uh, what I later learned was probably it was called a voiding, a urinary voiding capacity, something like that. And basically, uh, they put like a, they insert a catheter and then kind of like fill your bladder up with liquid and then they, you know, that's how they measure how much your bladder can hold and then they have you pee it out after a while after doing some other things. And so that, that was one thing that I do have, you know, quite a, um, sense, sensatory memory of was having to pee all over the table, you know, cause they told me to pee, um, 
just like laying on the table. I don't know. It was weird. And I remember I had brought my doll with me, you know, to kind of like comfort me or whatever. And then I wanted them to x-ray my doll. So like after Aww. the fact, I just remembered being like super, super happy about having the x-ray of my doll. And it looked so weird. I remember that x-ray. I know, I remember right? that. <laughs> isn't, isn't it was that, really weird. Right? <laughs> yeah. It was just a doll. Um, so yeah, that was weird. So I, I was happy about the x-ray, you know, uh, cause I had to find something to be happy about to block out just, you know, having the catheter and everything and then everything else, like literally every other part of that experience pretty much. Um, and I, th- I don't remember, but I think perhaps, you know, that was the point where mom and became aware because, you know, that was how they found out that I, my left kidney was smaller than the right one. I think, I think that's when that was d- discovered. And I don't, I, think so too. I don't remember if they had any kind of diagnosis about my bladder at that point, but I think that was when they said that my left kidney was smaller. And um, so I think that was probably when I had my first UTI. And then, you know, a few years later or, you know, shortly after that, I'm in elementary school. And basically, I remember in elementary school having accidents sometimes in the middle of the day because... I would raise my hand or I would ask the teacher to go to the restroom and they wouldn't let me because, you know, they wanted us to all only go to the restroom all at the same time at a specific time or whatever. And so I had, I remember having accidents, uh, like in my seat in class, in the middle of class, um, and just having to like ask the teachers like over and over again. And like some of them, um, I don't know, my memory is kind of vague, but, you know, I think at times maybe they begrudgingly let me go because I was like, it's an emergency, and maybe even having an accident, like, on the way, um, mm-hmm. or, you know, the teachers just kind of, if they did let me use the restroom, like, you know, just being, like, frustrated about it or whatever, and then I do remember mom got me, like, a note from a doctor, or she wrote a note to the teacher herself or talked to the teacher or something, um, I remember at some point in elementary school, she she just, you know, was able to make the teachers aware that like, hey, you have to let her go to the restroom when she says she needs to go. Um, but yeah, there were still times when, um, yeah, I, I mean, it was, it was a, a few, a fair few times in elementary school that I literally like, you know, had wet my pants in the middle of the school day and had to have had to have them call my mom or had to have them give me clothes from the nurse's office or wherever um and so here's the thing about like especially when I was a kid starting in elementary school and kind of just getting worse in middle school and this is you know uh this is something a lot of kids experience bullying and being made fun of and just being picked on and so um with me um, as Naomi kind of mentioned in our sort of intro get to know us episode, you, you talked a little bit about, you know, how I just, um, I stand out, you know, I'm a, yep. I'm a very tall, <laughs> um, woman and I'm redheaded and, you know, people have said I have striking features or whatever. And yeah, I kind of stand out in the crowd. So as a child, you know, it was kind of the worst, unfortunately, because, Uh, There were already so many things about me that made me stand out and made me different and made me a bit awkward and just made me, like, you know, the sore thumb and just, like, already the perfect target for bullying. So it it was just um, adding insult to injury that on top of all that, I was wetting my pants as well, and then I was worried about smelling at school all the time, and kids were just horrible, you know? Yeah. So you can just imagine. I don't even need to... I feel like I don't even need to <laughs> to try to remember any kind of specific things because, you know, you can just 
think about kids and use your imagination when it comes to like a, a little a little red-haired girl who has like no eyebrows no eyelashes is super pale and is like awkward and gangly and kind of taller than everyone and has a horrible haircut um and just like poofy red hair and then like I also would have chapped lips a lot of the time and so I would have yeah. this like red upper lip uh, probably from all the nervousness because of the life that I was, ex- literally my existence. I remember <laughs> when this started, because you started, we were homeschooled for a few years before actually starting public mm-hmm. school, and uh, Lydia started in el- started elementary school um, at second grade, and I remember, it was because it was weird, I was like, you know, what's going on? Why are you, why are your, your lips chapped and why are that little line up there? Yeah. But it would clear up in the summer and then come back during the school year. I don't even remember that, but that sounds about right. I'm yeah, I remember that it would go, that, you know, in the summertime, it would kind of clear up, kind of go away. Um, and then it would flare up again. And that happened for a mm. few years. So this is this is kind of enlightening because it's kind of like therapy because I'm... This is kind of the first time talking about it, because of course I was thinking a bit about it while writing my notes, but it's really wonderful, and I thank you for, for giving me your perspective, because no, I didn't, I didn't remember that it had that pattern of clearing mm-hmm. up in the summer, but that makes all the sense in the world, and so I'm thinking now what's, what's coming to mind is like, okay, have I just had social anxiety my entire life? Is that, what, is that literally what I'm discovering? Okay, maybe. <laughs> Who knows? I wouldn't be surprised, but, you know, um, bless poor little me. Okay, um, moving on. So, the point there is, is that, you know, elementary school was so hard because, you know, kids can just be, like, super cool, and unfortunately, um, you know, they'll kind of ease, they'll pick on the person who's easiest to pick on, who has the most obvious differences or the most obvious vulnerabilities, which in a lot of cases, unfortunately, was me. Um, Because I was also left-handed, and in third grade, particularly, I had a math teacher who was really, really cruel, and um, one time she, uh, I don't remember, like, what her problem was, but she had so much anger and frustration, and I guess she had, she was, like, very controlling because she just had to have everything her way, because she had, I was writing with my left hand because I'm left-handed, and she had a problem with that. (laughs) the fuck i didn't even remember know about this yeah i don't remember what her name was but this was third grade third grade math and she was like a tall blonde lady um i don't remember names but anyway um i guess even if we remembered her name we would not say it It, i don't know anyway but um yeah so this teacher she just i was writing i was doing math with my left hand i think maybe we were practicing you know writing out numbers and whatever or or practicing cursive which i don't know why we would be practicing writing cursive in math class but whatever the fuck the point is um you know she was watching all of us and then i guess she just really was had a problem with the way that i was writing with my left hand and she was just so incredibly angry and like mean and hostile towards me about it. She was yelling at me, and I she, I remember her saying things like, oh, why are you so stupid? Um, why do you write like that? That's so stupid. That's a stupid, I don't know, just like horrible, and trying to force me to write with my right hand. Anyway, uh, but that's not what this episode's about. <laughs> I'm like, but the huh? point, the yeah, the point is, like, um, it was rough because 
there was just all these different things about me that were so kind of just different, you know, being left-handed, being tall, being redheaded, um, and then, yeah, just having accidents in the middle of the day, and then, unfortunately, sometimes being the stinky one because having accidents in the middle of the day, and, you know, until I get the fresh clothes on, it's like, you know... Um, and that's, that's another thing that I've kind of, like, uh, struggled with my whole life is also this just subconscious, uh, you know, anxiety about the way that I smell and, and how other, how I might be perceived by others, um, uh, olfactorily. I'm trying to find the right adjective, the right adverb for that. But yeah, like, just because, you know, smell is such an interesting thing and this might be a bit of a tangent, but like. You know, like, considering even, like, your breath or whatever, or how, like, smell and taste together work, and then how you perceive them in your mind, I feel like when you smell yourself, sometimes um, it it might be different than how others might smell you. I guess, does that make sense, you know? Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. It's, um, yeah, because, I mean, when we... I think about how, you know, sometimes when you come into somebody's house, you associate that house with the way it smells. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it makes sense. I mean, you know, we do that with people, too. And just, it's like, okay, this is how this person looks. This is how they talk. This is how they sound. Yeah. This is how they smell. Yeah. And and I guess for me, unfortunately, part of struggling with this throughout my, my life has meant that, uh, you know, I struggle with this kind of just constant underlying fear that's not always conscious but it's you know it's always there of just like you know uh, whether it's how people smell my person or whether it's when you know coming into my home and what my home smells like I definitely for sure um just yeah have this you know um just uh uh, self-consciousness yeah hyper hyper self-consciousness about you know are can they pick up like the subtle scent of smell of, of pee of urine and as you said I don't want I'm you know I guess the fear is that people will associate me like you know by smell because smell brings such you know has such powerful um effect at bringing things to mind it does it has a powerful effect with especially with memory yeah so I just I don't want people to to uh, associate urine smell with me that's that's definitely the uh the fear there yeah um okay so um yeah just lots of lots of bullying and um lots of feeling very ostracized throughout school um because of that and then even people who would associate with me, who were friendly with me, and then them getting made fun of for being, like, hanging out with the girl who wets herself and whatever. Um, and so, yeah, it's just um, as much unwanted attention as, you know, just all the things about me were already bringing, um, that just kind of made it worse. Mm-hmm. And so I think that pretty much I, I at least at night, you know... Um, you know, throughout grade school, I pretty much just wore Depends at night for a long time. And then, you know, um, birthday parties and sleepovers and things like that, there was always a lot of stress about them. And I'd be nervous and maybe say no, or I would bring um, a pair of Depends or maybe even two just to be safe. And and then I'd be super just like secretive and discreet about it. Um, trying to, you know, hide the fact that I was, like, sneaking them into the bathroom or whatever um, to change into. 
or, you know, having, bringing a plastic bag with me to tie it up in afterwards, you know, to throw it in the trash can to have it in its own little plastic bag tied up and sealed. Um, And so, and that was definitely something that was taught to me because, um, you know, um, dad, as early as, you know, elementary school was saying things like, you know, don't talk about this to people outside the family, don't bring up your problem, he would say. Um, And then, uh, you know, I think when I was starting to go to sleepovers and things like that, I think I remember him kind of instructing me to like, you know, hide this, be discreet with it. And then I, cause I, I think the reason I remember that is asking him like, what does discreet mean? <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway. Um, and then, you know, uh, we went to camp, you know, when we, when we started, when we started going to summer camps, um, uh, you, that was, I think this was uh, middle school for you mm-hmm. by, by this point. If I was in early high school by the time we actually, by the time we actually went to camp. Yeah. It's basically over for me. I think, I think dad trying to maybe discourage me from going to camp at first, you know? Um, I I definitely recall some hemming and hawing, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Um, And then having to be like, okay, well, you know, we'll let them know that it's a thing that might happen or something like that. Or like, you know, we'll pack depends with with you mm -hmm. or bring like a rubber sheet cover or something like that. I think we took some, we did at least one or more of those things. We did. And Um, so I'll, I'll just put my two cents in on that because I was a little bit older and I think I was already like a counselor in training. Mm Mm-hmm. And I remember kind of getting, you know, one day at camp, kind of getting called over by um, maybe the camp director and the counselor or something. And um, and then coming over and they're like, okay, so we're having to deal with the situation. And I kind of remember having to step in and almost be a parent figure or a parent replacement since mom and dad weren't there right. of saying... Like, okay, yes, this is a problem Lydia is dealing with, and this is not a... Because, I mean, they weren't... um, From what I remember, it was a little bit like they didn't know what to do. They were like, oh, is this weird? Is this a thing that happens? Was this just a random occurrence? Did something happen here at camp to prompt this? Um, and so I just remember having to kind of step in. Yeah. And, and those are valid questions for them to be asking. Yeah. The, the, you know, those are they're fair questions, I think. And, of course, they wanted to take care of yeah. you and the situation. And, you know, and I think, you know, the counselors were pretty young and were like, what do we do? <laughs> what You know, that wasn't something that they were exactly yeah. expecting well, the to solution, have to deal with. Yeah. The solution ended up being I, rather simple. I remember, at least in, in one case, was just, you know, I think they just washed my, my comforter in a washer and dryer in, some, in one of the cabins that had a washer and dryer. Yeah. Um, and, that, and that was kind of it, because I think I, I always packed Depends with me, so... You did. Yeah, the thing the thing is that, um, you know, even if, even if you have um, a rubber mattress protector, even if you're wearing, like, a sort of adult diaper, like, Depends or something, uh, like that, uh, they can still leak. (laughs) Uh, mattress protectors can tear. 
um, mattress protectors that have to be washed in a washing machine, you know, that have wear and tear because of that. They're, mm-hmm. It's unfortunate. So um, that's part of the struggle. That's part of the frustration that I've, I've lived with for quite a long time. So I'm quite used to it, unfortunately, is um, just taking precautions like that and still having uh, leaks and, and having to deal with that and having to do... Um, just really absurd amounts of laundry um, at absurd frequencies and then yeah just more bedding at, at more at higher frequencies than really anyone would ever have to do I re- normally I remember even before this you know dad especially was of the sort of of the school of thought that this is something you need to manage. And so I remember at a mm-hmm. young age, like he gave you an alarm clock and was like, set the alarm clock and get up and go to the bathroom or don't drink water right before you go to bed. Like yeah. very much of the school of thought, like this is something you just learn to manage and become disciplined with. And that really just didn't work. Didn't address yeah. what was really going on. And, uh, what I'm realizing as I kind of, like, look back at these things, um, you know, um, I have always needed more sleep than, than maybe the average person, the average woman my age or whatever, um, and part of that is because I'm such a sensitive person, um, but also women in general, it's actually proven by studies that women need more sleep than men as well, Mm. but yeah, like... I think that the world, especially America and our culture, we have such a, um, a, a work-driven, ambitious, sort of like active-driven culture, active as in the opposite of passive. Mm-hmm. And so, um, this is another little mini tangent, we, we, have, we love to say, we love to abide by these sort of regulations of like eight, eight, eight glasses of water a day, eight hours of sleep per night. And everyone's, you know, everyone's the same or whatever like that. It's because that's easy, right? Um, So it's not like I'm blaming us for for, uh, enjoying and preferring to always think along those lines in terms of, like, what people in general just, like, need as humans. Um, Anyway, my point is that basically just, like, uh, we're starting to realize, we're starting to actually have the research to back up these, you know, these concepts of, no, people are different, different body types, different ages, different, um, different uh, what's the word, dispositions. They do have different energy levels. Yeah. And, uh, and that's something that I have had to realize for myself out of pure necessity. <laughs> so um, when I look back, I realize, like, okay, so to, to begin with, I already kind of, like, I'm, I'm not a morning person. I have a hard time getting up in the morning. Um, and that's my whole entire life, my entire life. It's never been easy for me to wake up early in the morning. And I've, you know, I've known, I've gotten to know myself well enough to realize that like, yeah, I just need a bit more rest than other people do to just like be fully, fully recharged. And so to begin with, um, you know, dad was always kind of, uh, wannabe militaristic in his, you know, like making us wake up at a certain time in the morning. And it just like, you know, I didn't, that wasn't according to what my body needed. And then on top of that, wait, if I'm waking up in the middle of the night and trying to address ha- an accident that I've had, um, I'm, I'm having to come out of whatever cycle of sleep I'm in. Um, and I'm having to like, you know, get my brain thinking about things like sheets and blankets and, and laundry and, or, or towels to, you know, and just like taking, cleaning up this situation. So it's like, I'm having to wake up. I'm having to, um, 
you know, uh, wake up and come out of a level of sleep that's different when you're just, like, in that kind of zombie mode, going to the toilet and then going back to sleep. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, um, and thankfully, actually having a Fitbit in the last few years that tracks my heart rate and is able to keep track of my sleep has helped me realize just how much... Um, my sleep is disrupted when I have to wake up in the middle of, when I wake up in the middle of the night because of an accident and then I have to like stay awake for a certain amount of time just to deal with it before I can go back to sleep. Yeah. So um, it really helps me just, even if I'm not having an accident, it, ho- it will help me see just how much um, time I'm actually not sleeping during the night even when I think I might be sleeping, you know? Um, so it's like no matter how much sleep we think we're getting, we're not getting that much sleep. Um, it's just, it's, um, it's another part of the struggle that just makes everyday life a bit more difficult, but it's another thing that, um, you know, growing up and dad was always telling me not to talk about it. So there was so much shame surrounding it because I was not supposed to bring it up. It was always referred to as my problem. Um, and dad would even say things like, um, you know, how you were saying like, oh, well, she, she needs to grow out of this. She needs to learn how to manage it. He would even say things like, you can't keep doing this. Um which, you know, would be especially hurtful because it wasn't something I was doing. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. I think as far as our parents go, uh, I mean, it's so complicated because because it's like, yeah, we have certain feelings around the way that they handled it, for sure. Yes. The ways they handled it and the way that they didn't. And um, I won't get too much into their business because that's... It's not my story, but it's not, for, for one of our parents, I can give them a bit more, um, I mean, I can forgive both of them for, for not knowing the best, the exact perfect best way to deal with, with me having this, this issue growing up, but, like, one of them, I can give them more of, like, the benefit of the doubt where they, it was completely new to them, but the other had a little bit of personal experience with something similar. Yeah, that we didn't find out for many years later. Exactly. And I won't say any more than that. I'll just leave it at that. But, you know, there could be other situations in which the parents, it's something completely new to them where they've never heard of it, dealt with it before. It's, It's completely new territory for them. Yeah. And that was not exactly the case with our parents. Yeah. And so that just made, unfortunately made it all the more complicated when it comes to um, uh, just how they dealt with it and uh, all of the implications that go into that. Yeah. Um, for the but most yeah, it, part, was, though, it made it they, really difficult. Yeah. For the most part, though, it was something that I think in the beginning they were like, why is this happening? Why isn't she outgrowing mm-hmm. it? And really not... Um, I don't know, not really having the answers. And also, just to be honest, like, you know, just how kind of dirt poor <laughs> we were. True. Was really scary to, yeah, to have yeah. A, a child with a chronic medical condition. And you're like, yeah. can we afford to have a chronic medical condition? <laughs> and the answer was really no, we absolutely can't. And yeah, I think that was a scary thing to them. Yeah. That, I'm glad you mentioned that because that makes, you know, that, that had a lot of strain for them. And they were kind yeah. of, you know, they were doing the best they could they, with what they had. They really were. Even though they really were doing the best they could, but that still doesn't mean that, you know, there's still a lot of feelings. Um, yeah. Around still, it. I mean, it still affected me for a long time because um, 
Yeah, like doctor's appointments. I don't know. I don't think we had health insurance all that often, if at all, growing up uh, when mom would take me to the doctor those times. And then, yeah, it depends. They're expensive. And unfortunately, dad, you know, um, did wasn't too shy to let me know that they were expensive. And unfortunately, that made me feel all the more like a burden. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, as I got older and older, unfortunately, as I was saying before, it was as if, like, the shame around it just kept compounding and, like, it was almost coming to a boiling point where, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to kind of, like, get by day to day and, and glean what joy I can from my daily life um, when I'm not having accidents during the day, which thankfully I think, um, I think... In middle school, I think maybe I had one or two occasions where I kind of, you know, was rushing to the restroom and maybe had an accident, but I know that by the end of middle school, I don't think I was having any more, you know, kind of emergency, um, urgent, urgent, um, urinary urgency accidents during the day. So after that, it was kind of just at nighttime. So as when I started high school, it was kind of nice because I was able to leave some of middle school behind and kind of start afresh and hope that some of the bullying wasn't going to carry over into high school, which thankfully wasn't the case. Um, and so as I was getting older, even though it was happening still at night, um, I was just trying to, you know, trying to literally, you know, um, pretend like that wasn't happening pretty much I think throughout high school that was kind of the new mode was like okay it's not I'm not I'm not really having daytime accidents anymore so that's great Mm -hmm. so it's only happening at night and because of kind of everything that I had been taught to do growing up I was just like let me just pretend as if it's not happening act as if it's not a thing that exists so you know I think just mentally and psychologically I just tried to um, do my best to ignore it and pretend that it wasn't happening And unfortunately, that meant that I did so much, like, hiding and even, like, sneaking to try to, you know, just, like, cover up evidence because, um, you know, as I was saying, as I got older, it was still happening at night. So, of course, for my my parents doing laundry and whatever, um, you know, and, of course, I started to do my own laundry after a certain point. But, you know, they were finding out about it, so it's not like it was a secret from them and, you know... As I, every year that I got older, you know, it was sort of like dad would say the same kind of thing of like, you're about to be such and such age, you can't keep doing this or this can't keep happening. And so it was like every year he would say something like that. And just every year that I got older, it was, you know, still happening. And then because I was just trying to like pretend as if it wasn't happening at all, um, you know, I was, I would just like do whatever I could to just like pretend, you know, hide it or or pretend that it wasn't a thing um and uh because after a while dad would he was like punishing me for having accidents um for a certain pound in high school I don't remember what grade I was in exactly but um I remember you know I was I would go to youth group or I would go and hang out with my friends and so he would ground me from either going to youth group going to church just to clarify people this is my father who is a conservative right-wing evangelical Christian and the way that he would punish me everyone just to be clear he would punish me by grounding me and not allowing me to go to youth group at church at church church youth group and, and and the thing about it is he was doing the best he could but, but with the tools he had he did but at the we same time we turned out just fine we did turn out just fine <laughs> despite this 
But I was like, this is honestly what, this is the kind of kids we were. We were not into bad stuff. We did not. uh, I I mean, we had cable and internet and, you know, but we did not have this, uh, you know, an extremity of privileges that he could take away or anything. We were pretty simple, good kids who went to school, went to youth group. You did band. I did theater. Mm -hmm. We really didn't have a lot of extra things. On the side. Yeah, so he had, and that was the thing is that he wanted to take away whatever it was that brought us joy, right? Whatever it was that was like a treat to us. So going to youth group was, was brought us joy and was our treat. So he took it away from us. Um, and I think I think he was um, already married to our stepmom at that point because I I think otherwise I don't know if I if we would have been able to appeal to his senses. Um, get him to come to his senses, I think that's what I'm trying to say, to realize that, you know, this was not something I had control over, and therefore he literally, it's, like, fucked up in every kind of respect for him to punish me for something happening to me that I couldn't control. So I think after, I don't think it was able to carry on him punishing me that way for too long before... We were able to, to make him see, like, uh, you can't do this. This is really fucked I up. I think it was... And I think, was, I think it was me. I remember mm. I remember having to kind of, like, complain on my own behalf and kind of point out, like, um, this is fucked up. Like, I can't... This isn't something I have control over. And um, I think his punishment, his resort to this punishment was more so out of his own frustration. Exactly. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. And wanting... Exactly wanting to have... Wanting to... You know, it was something that... I didn't have control over, so he didn't have control over it. And, you know, um, where I am now in life, I'm kind of able to, I don't know, I don't know about, like, forgive it is the right word, or accept is not the right word exactly, but kind of just, like, understand where he's coming from in the sense that humans, it's our nature to want to control Mm. things, you know, and I can understand that even if I don't, like, agree with it or, like, condone the way that he was doing that but it's kind of like you know i i kind of get it yeah i guess i could say and that yeah i don't know how much we want to go into this but there was a lot of turmoil that happened our parents divorced when yeah you were 10 i was 13 ish Mm -hmm. there was a lot of turmoil in those um late elementary school middle school years that didn't Mm -hmm. help the situation and so as I do look back and as you just said it's like yeah we can understand a little bit more because okay obviously they were going through their own pain and dealing Mm -hmm. with their own pain and just in the way that they were dealing with with this situation with you I mean I remember my acting out at that age and I'm being so angry like being angry beyond measure of control when I was you know about 11 or 12 and feeling utterly helpless and of course now looking back I can say oh wow our whole world was disintegrating our family was going through a really traumatic time divorce and separation is Mm. extremely traumatic for kids um but we turned out just fine. 
We turned out just fine. Um, <laughs> but now I can look back and at least say, I'm like, oh, yeah. Okay, clearly our parents were dealing with their own pain and had very little um, skill and didn't really have the equipment to also understand that their children were in pain yeah. right alongside them. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And, um, and so they, how could they help us when they could barely help themselves, basically? Yeah, more or less. And, yeah. you know, if anything, I think... Uh, around the time that dad got remarried, it was really, um, cause I just remember him not being around very much <laughs> after that, uh, you know, just for that, like that newlywed period of time, they were, they were pretty, you know, obviously newlyweds caught up in each other. And so I just remember him not being around too much, um, to deal with some stuff that was going on at home. Yeah. And this, you know, that we could maybe overlap this discussion into the the daddy issues the daddy issues um, discussion the daddy issues episode when we do that but yeah there's it was definitely i remember um looking back now i realized that um whenever whenever dad would talk to me because my interactions with him over the course of my life um more than not tended to be for a negative reason if he was talking to me <laughs> Um, just unfortunately, because as a child, like it would, it would unfortunately be more, um, more times that it was for a disciplining or reprimanding occasion Mm -hmm. that, that he was talking to me because there were other occasions where I wanted to talk to him or I was showing him, Hey, look at what I just did. And he would just ignore me. And, um, so basically I think that I just, over the years developed this like subconscious kind of instinct of whenever he was talking to me to just be like, go into fear mode of just like okay what's gonna what's about to happen Mm. am i in trouble you know kind of just that just like always like uh am i in trouble which i guess that's not unique that's that's not you know like i guess all kids kind of have that to a degree of just like oh it's mom's talking to me what did i do am i in trouble am i about to get spanked or whatever maybe that's very common but um yeah okay so basically to kind of go back to um you know, the way he was trying to deal with it as far as, like, punishing me for having accidents. So that didn't go on for too long, thankfully, before we were able to be like, uh, no, that's not okay. That's, that's really fucked up and wrong. You, you can't parent that way. Yeah. Um, let your kids go to church. Well, so the, the, the grounding from church did not stop, unfortunately. But what we were able to get him to, uh, see the light on was you know grounding me just for having accidents in the first place you know he because you know we're able to be like this isn't really something I have control over and so what it turned into um he would punish me if I had an accident and then if I didn't tell him about it if I didn't admit to it so then it would be you know um if I had an accident and then if I um you know, I think it was, I had to tell dad about it, or if he asked me, you know, that in the morning, because he got into the habit of just asking me every morning, did I have a good night or a bad night? Um, which is, uh, also parents, probably not the best language to use when talking about, uh, accidents, but anyway, um, and so, you know, um, a lot of the time I would lie. I would not want to admit that I had had an accident. And so I still got punished and I still got grounded from, from church a lot for trying to 
you know, pretend that I had not had an accident when I had. And, you know, looking back, I, I have, I'm able to have a lot of grace for my teenage self because I don't blame myself for lying and for not wanting to admit that I had an accident because, um, of course I didn't, <laughs> you know, like, who, who wants to admit, especially just, you know, kind of putting together what I was saying about our dad earlier, just of having that kind of, like, whenever he would talk to me, just being like, oh, fuck, am I in trouble? What, uh, what, what's about to happen, you know? Um, just kind of having, like, that fear. So, yeah, I would, I would not want to admit it a lot of the time, and then, you know, he would find out, and then I would get in trouble, and he would be really frustrated and disappointed, and he would be like, why are you lying about it, or whatever, and, yeah, there was just so much frustration about mm -hmm. it, and, um, and sometimes it, it really made me feel like I was a burden, and it made me, you know, I don't think, uh, they purposely meant to make me feel like, I was, you know, a burden or whatever, but that was the, unfortunately, the impression I came away with a lot of the time was, like, um, I'm a burden, or I'm this, like, problem child, um, you know, that, that almost that I was doing it to them just to make their lives more difficult, you know, that was kind of mm -hmm. the, the way they made me feel about it, and so that was really, really difficult, and, uh, and, you know, there was a time in middle school where even, um, it wasn't just because of having to deal with this problem, but because of all kinds of other things going up, you know, um, just, like, changes that were happening in the family and things that were happening with our mom. There was a time when I was in middle school where I was suicidal and, um, you know, just this, the problem was definitely a, a big kind of factor in that of just, like, one of the things that was making my life so... For me, it was it felt unbearable, yeah. you know. Um, anyway, so moving on, I'm still here. <laughs> I turned out just fine. Um, moving on. Um, thankfully, um, and much in in much part because of our stepmom, who I'm very grateful to, you know, she was able to help bring some uh, semblance of stability into our family life after she married our dad. Yeah. And, um, and even with me and, and with that, you know, um, with my issue that I was dealing with, with bedwetting, she was able to kind of be helpful with that as well because she would wake up, you know, we, we did start to set alarms in high school and I would wake up. Um, I was able to get my body to eventually start to wake up regularly um, at a certain time in the middle of the night and she would wake up with me. She would wake me up and she would put like drops of water under my eyes because it helps to just wake you up really quick. And then I would use the bathroom and then I would just go back to sleep. Um, and so thankfully, after a while, she didn't even have to wake me up anymore. I was just able to, to wake up on my own. And because of that, you know, there were just times where I was still having accidents, but it, it got to a point where it was pretty manageable. So it was like, you know, fewer, there were more nights that I weren't, wasn't having accidents than there were that I was. Yeah. <laughs> Does that make any sense? Yes. I was more, more good nights than bad nights, I suppose you could say. Um, so that it was maybe like one, one a week or something. And so by that point it was sort of manageable. And I realized that, you know, now I realized that it was because, you know, um, our home life got a little bit more stable as I got into, you know, sophomore, junior, senior year of high school for me. Um, and just having, a sort of stable sleep schedule and a routine, um, I realize is a big part of it and it just helps to reduce the likelihood of having accidents. Um, 
And so by the time that I was getting towards the end of high school and I was uh, looking at joining the Navy, you know, when I brought it up to my parents, you know, unfortunately for my dad, that was one of the first things he, he brought up was like, you know, well, how are you going to, how are you going to be able to be in the Navy when you have like this bedwetting issue? And uh, um, I was like, well, it's not so much of an issue anymore because, you know, it, it got to a, a much more manageable point by then. And, um, you know, that was basically what we told the, the recruiters. And that was, that was good enough for them, basically. Um, and so I was able to join. And, uh, but um, one of the reasons that I realize now that having that um, routine and that stability and that really being, having my body be on a schedule, you know, I didn't realize that that was such an important thing until that schedule was so, you know, interrupted and like messed up and everything because with all of the stress of being in boot camp, you know, I was having accidents and then unfortunately it was even worse stress and there was even more anxiety about it because I was like, oh fuck, I'm in boot camp, I really can't have this happening now, you know. Um, and thankfully, it didn't they, they had like a, a literal like minimum number of times that it could happen in boot camp like on their on their like policies I remember um, where to the point where like if it happened more than a number of times then you had to go to medical or something and I remember having to go also to like the uh, the mental health part where and like have to do this interview where they asked me all these questions to see if I was depressed or if it was like a mental health thing and like well we have to we have to realize this is the, the military, this was the Great Lakes um, Naval Training Center, and this is the government that we're talking about. So in terms of mental health, uh, the government is not at the forefront, to say the least. So, yeah. Something that we'll probably <laughs> get into more when we talk about veterans. Mm-hmm. But... And so I'll just leave it at that. But, you know, just to say that their screening and their interview and whatever um, must be taken with a grain of salt because, yeah. Anyway, um, thankfully, though, uh, I was not kicked out of boot camp because that's what I was worried about. I was worried about just being, like, kicked out because of it and sent home and then having Dad say, I told you so. And that's kind of that's, that kind of continued for the rest of the time that I was in the Navy and I did have a five-year enlistment, and I did end up, you know, serving all five years. But, um, you know, I was, there was a whole, oh, that'll probably be its own episode, just, like, talking about my military career a bit more in depth. But, um, you know, there was a while that I was on a ship, and I was, you know, on deployment, and I wanted to be able to finish out that deployment and go with my ship to all the different places that we were going. And, uh, and I wasn't able to. It was only, like, two or three port calls into the deployment before... Um, a lot of things happened in terms of, like, accidents happening, um, for me, you know, in, on the ship, and, uh, the lifestyle and on the, in the Navy, you know, and the lifestyle on deployment on a ship, it's very, very close quarters, um, you know, so we're all sleeping in pretty close proximity to one another, the racks are quite small, your places, the space that you have to store your clothes, including your laundry, is very, very limited, you literally have only a certain number of days of the week and a, and a certain uh, time frame in which you can do your laundry. So basically, um, just all of the, all of the, the hassle that comes with having accidents in normal life, where you have, you can do the laundry kind of whenever, 
and you can keep it in a laundry basket or in a closet or whatever until you can clean it. Um, it's all just even so much worse. So it's kind of like it's kind of like one of the worst situations in which you could be having accidents. And unfortunately, that was um, a lot of the reason why um, um, I'll call it the shit hit the fan period of time when I was in the Navy, mm -hmm. when I was on the ship, when, yeah, pretty much just it, it all hit the fan and it was kind of all coming to a head. And unfortunately, it was because of this just building and building anxiety and fear. And, um, and I, I just remember living in fear just every single day during that time uh, when I was in the Navy because I was just so afraid that, um, that if, you know if the authorities basically if my supervisors and if word got up to the chain of command that if they found out about this that i was going to be um kicked out of the navy or even worse you know like if they were going to come after me for you know like lying or something and trying to say that like oh well you had this problem and you didn't tell us about it or whatever when you know i did explain perfectly honestly all of it to the recruiter about how it had been a problem and then we had it manageable but um, it was, yeah, so it was, it was kind of just like, you know, everything that I was afraid of kind of like happening, but thankfully um, they didn't kick me out of the Navy and um, uh, um, thankfully, but unfortunately it meant that they, uh, they, I couldn't stay on the ship and they kind of sent me back to San Diego and I wasn't able to finish the deployment. But there was still a good amount of sketchiness in the whole situation because they were telling me things like, we're gonna send you back to San Diego and you're gonna have a lot of medical testing and we're gonna figure out what's going on and then we're gonna treat you and we're gonna get you better and then you'll come back to the ship. Um, which I didn't appreciate them lying because I, I think that they probably knew that I was not gonna come back to the ship and I wish that they had just mm. told me. <laughs> because for practical logistic purposes, I left my sea bag on the ship and then unfortunately it got like opened up and rummaged through by my shipmates. Thanks. And so, like, all of my belongings, uh, unfortunately, were kind of, like, stolen. And so, if they had just told me that I wasn't coming back, then, you know, I wouldn't have had all my shit taken from me. But anyway, um, the point was, I got put on limited duty, and I got sent to shore duty. So, for anyone who's been in the Navy who or who's, you know, uh, military familiar, you know, I didn't have to go back to a ship, and a lot of people who are veterans or who are active duty will say, like, oh, well, you're lucky then because you didn't have to be on a ship, you didn't have to go on deployment again. Um, and, like, yes and no, yeah, there's a lot of, um, it's, it's great to not have to do a lot of those things, but because I was so fresh and so early and had had so little experience, it really kind of broke my heart because I really wanted to experience all of those things. I think that was one of the things that you were most excited about. Yeah, I really wanted to do that deployment. I wanted to cross the equator and become a shellback. I wanted to, um, you know, really get the full experience. Mm -hmm. And I knew that it was going to be difficult, but I, I wanted to, uh, yeah, I wanted to be a part of that. That was, you know, kind of part of the reason why I had joined the Navy, among other reasons. But one of them was, you know, because there's always been that desire in me to be a part of something bigger than myself, which I think everyone does share. Um, but we all look for it in different ways. Yeah. So, uh, I started, I went on Limdu and thankfully I, I was able to get, um, you know, some, some testing done, some answers. I won't say that the, the Navy medical care that I received was, was top notch or was the best, but you know, they made an effort. <laughs> they made a bit of an effort to try to find out what was going on. 
But to just to, in general, in kind of a nutshell, I will say that um, that's kind of as much as they did. Is they 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 the doctors, you know, they ordered the the tests and the scans and referred me to the people to do the things that they knew to do, and that's as much as they did. They did as much as they knew to do, and unfortunately, when all of the things that they knew to do were bringing us some information that wasn't really getting to the root cause of what was go what was causing my my um my bladder to not communicate with my brain when i was asleep and what was causing me to have just like this uh predisposition or this like just vulnerability to these utis because of my kidney so it's kind of like okay we got this going on here we've got that going on there but we don't know why and basically they didn't want to they were they couldn't be bothered to try to find out why um, if it meant doing more than they already knew to do, mm-hmm. basically. Because I remember doctors kind of, you know, I would suggest to them, like, well, what about this? What about that? Could it be this? Could it be that? And they were really dismissive, unfortunately. Quite a few of them would try to dismiss me and tell me that I didn't know things, um, that, that what I was telling them about what I was feeling in my body wasn't real. Um, for instance, you know, growing up with this, my left kidney being smaller than the right kidney, I've always had a sort of hyper-awareness and um, very in tune with what my kidney feels like. And I realized that most people probably don't know what that feels like, you know? They probably don't walk around being like, oh yeah, my kidney feels tender today, but that's how I am. Some days I'm just like, oh, my kidney feels a bit squished today. I feel like I need to stretch around a bit or whatever. I've always been very in tune with it. And doc- even doctors, if they, <laughs> if they haven't encountered someone who is in touch with a part of their body in that way, or if they are not excuse me, if they haven't experienced that for themselves, then unfortunately a lot of them would be quite dismissive and they would, I would tell them like, my kidney hurts and they would write down things like flank pain. I'd have to, I would, yeah, I would be so frustrated because it's like, well, you're not wrong, but you're also, you're not listening to me. Yeah. I'm telling you, I know it's not just flank pain, which you think, okay, flank pain, maybe that's her kidneys. Like, no motherfucker, <laughs> I know my body, I'm telling you it's my kidney. And so that, I, I, I've always uh, struggled with doctors um, in that way, getting frustrated when they just kind of like assume that that they know that you don't know what you're talking about and that they will know better because they have degrees in it. And it's like, I respect you and your degrees and your education and your expertise, but please respect me and my knowledge of my body that I've lived with my whole life. Thank you very much. So, um, you know, there was plenty of testing done, testing on my kidney as I was talking about. Um, like CT scans where they, you know, put dye into my blood and then they see how my kidneys filter my blood and whatever else. And that was how we discovered that my left kidney does 20% of the work and my right kidney does 80% of the work. And then ultrasounds of my kidney revealed that I have scar tissue on my kidney from um, just the UTIs that I've had over the years because... um, if you've maybe only ever had one UTI, or if you're lucky enough to have never had a UTI in your life, really just, you know, uh, count your blessings. But I think most people have probably experienced one, but um, they probably don't know that uh, apparently if your infection gets bad enough, you know, if it spreads up to your kidneys, it can leave scar tissue, which was something I didn't know until I realized that I had it. So that was one more kind of fun thing where it's like, okay, great, but I don't know what to do with that. What am I supposed to do with that, right? Um, so, and that was unfortunately um, 
sort of the sentiment with a lot of the, the results that I would get from the testing because I got another VCUG done, another of the things with the, uh, this was as I was an adult in the Navy, part of the testing they did when I was on Lindu, was doing another of those voiding urinary capacity, blah, 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 blah. And, and that one, they even had me, like, they had me cough, they had me sneeze, they had me laugh to test my urinary continence, you know, under those different stressors. And it was actually kind of normal. And they tested, you know, my, my bladder capacity, and they even said that my bladder capacity is not that far off from normal. So it wasn't even that I had a small bladder, like I had kind of thought growing up the whole time. Um, but it was just that my bladder was super hyperactive. Mm. And, and I would have um, what's called urge incontinence some of the time. And, um, and the urge incontinence would end up being a symptom of you having a UTI a lot of the time. So it was kind of like a warning that, you know, if I was having accidents during the day because of urgency, then that was a sign that I had a UTI. And unfortunately, it took a couple of those of UTIs getting that bad in that way um, when I was on the ship, when I was on deployment or before deployment, you know, that did happen a few times. And unfortunately, um, part of the, one of the toxic things about military culture is that there's no room for vulnerability, be it, you know, mental health vulnerability or physical health vulnerability. So um, in my early times in boot camp and on the ship, you know, I was already doing so good at denying that I was having accidents from doing so much denying of that growing up that um, when I was in the, you know, when I was in the Navy and my body was trying to tell me like, hey, we're freaking, body is freaking out here, your body's freaking out. And my body was trying to tell me that I had a UTI when I was on my first, um, my first time underway on the ship. I was, I was just ignoring my body. Mm -hmm. And I was, my body was trying to tell me things with these symptoms and was trying to like cry out and be like, hey, you need to get checked out. You, you have a UTI. And I just ignored it. And I really just like, um, did so much damage as what in terms of like my connection to my body as far as listening to it um, because unfortunately that was part of the culture of the military and everything that I was seeing and experiencing so far on the ship in terms of how females were treated and not just females but really everyone you know if if you went to sick call more than so many times then you were kind of like you were put on on notice where people would kind of like look at look out for you to be like oh maybe they're a malinger or they just want to get out of work all the time or whatever but for females it was especially bad and because we would also have periods and stuff and so unfortunately it was this thing where there were maybe one or two females who were maybe not being perfectly honest and were maybe doing things to get out of work which may or may not have been true, I don't know, but the point was is that all of the females were getting that kind of impression. So we were like basically having to prove to everyone else that we weren't gonna, you know, use our periods as an excuse to try to get out of work. And so it was, it was this thing where I felt that I had to not show any weakness. I couldn't tell anyone about, you know, any of my vulnerabilities, about my kidney, about, you know, using, needing to use the restroom a lot. Um, and then on top of that, once my body was crying out, once my body was saying like, hey, this isn't okay, hey, that's not okay, hey, um, you, you need to do something, I was just like, nope, 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 shut up, shut up body, because I can't, uh, I, I, need to, <laughs> I need to make a good impression. I'm new on this ship, and I'm a female, and I need these people to respect me, um, so I can't, I, I couldn't have any problems, you know? So, um, but unfortunately, you know, it got to the point where 
my body was just like so desperate um, to make me take care of it that it was resorting to making me throw up, which anyone who's familiar with sort of like just in general a urinary tract infection and its general symptoms, you'll know that throwing up is not one of the <laughs> common symptoms of a UTI. So that it got that bad that my body was like, do something. And so, um, yeah, that was um, in part because of just the culture of, of the military um, in terms of, you know, um, being able to be vulnerable, being able to show that you're human in terms of your health. Mm. Unfortunately, that was quite a big factor in that. But uh, thankfully, I guess once I was on limited duty and once I was able to kind of get doctors to start looking into things and doing quite and doing tests, and then I started to also receive pelvic floor therapy, um, physical therapy, and then that was really actually one of the most helpful things for me and has um, a lot of the things that I learned from physical therapy have stayed with me for, for years and years since and have been very, very helpful. Um, and I was very thankful for that because they were able to refer me to see physical therapists who were civilians um, instead of like going to Navy medical physical therapy. Not to say that it's the worst, but um, just in general, if you're if you're going to the VA or if you're going to a, a military medical facility, it's always better to the care that you're going to get if you get referred out to a civilian is always going to be better, um, just in, in generally speaking. And so thankfully that was the case and um, I was able to get really, really high quality physical therapy, um, pelvic floor therapy. I was able to learn a lot about, you know, just my situation down there. I had a really, really great therapist and she helped me discover using um, the little kind of like uh, electrical biofeedback things where they put these sensors on your muscles and it can actually measure your muscle tone. And so she kind of like put that on my pelvic floor and came to discover that um, my muscle tone on my pelvic floor muscles was like super, super high as far as like just resting muscle tone, where she told me that normal rating was at about a one or a two and that mine was at like a 12. Wow. Yeah. Um, for my pelvic floor. So that was like, there was all this tension that my muscles down there were holding on to and probably still are holding on to. Um, in terms of just like um, resting when when muscles should be resting and relaxed instead they're holding on to all this tension and then kind of helped me realize that you know when it comes to the bladder and when it comes to like how our body um, reflects our mind and and what else is going on in our life that that was representative of just like you know wanting to have control and so part of the reason that there's so much tension down there because you know the pelvic floor controls the sphincter and, and gives us control over our our urinary stream and so it kind of translates into like um, having no control over you know my body in that way was also adding to that feeling of just in my life in general not having control over things in my life that being one big one of them you know of course um, but that was kind of like one of my first introductions into realizing that um, uh, the body carries um, just like things, it, it will reflect the, the things that are affecting us in our life in general. Our body can hold on to that and can be a reflection of that. And sometimes the symptoms are trying to bring us, that's, that's what they're trying to bring our attention to, yeah. if that makes any sense. Um, and so thankfully I, I was able to learn quite a few things uh, from going to therapy there. For, um, this was in San Diego. You know, um, 
learning about Kegels and learning how to like strengthen the pelvic floor and things like that, which is very important for anyone and everyone, male or female, just, you know, your pelvic floor is good to know about and, and Kegels are good things that we should all be doing. Um, but yeah, it was kind of like, you know, getting into physical therapy and then shortly after that, um, getting introduced to chiropractic and falling in love with chiropractic and getting a little bit more enlightenment, a little bit more answers from that, but still, um, as the years went on, um, even when I had a stable life, be or somewhat stable, because I wasn't on a ship anymore, I was kind of working on shore duty, and I was able to kind of, like, have, you know, work at work at the same time every day, Monday through Friday, and, and um, get back on a, a stable kind of sleep schedule, so it was able to get back into a bit of routine to the point where it was manageable, but it was still happening, you know, and so even when I was learning things from physical therapy and from chiropractic, um, that were helpful, you know, as time went on and it was still, you know, even if they were occasional accidents, just they were still happening. I was definitely, there's this frustration that continued to build and build because it's like, okay, I'm learning this, this helps a little bit when I do this, that helps a little bit when I do that. I know that if this happens, it's good. It's more, if I'm, if I'm super stressed, it's more likely to happen. I'm more likely to have an accident. If this happens, I'm more likely to have accidents. So it was, learning a little bit about, you know, things that help and things that hurt, things that make it worse, but still not figuring out a cure, not figuring out what's causing it or what can, you know, make it go away altogether. And then, you know, being on limited duty in the, in the military where I literally have doctors who are assigned to me to, you know, sign off on whether I'm fit to go back to work, who are having to say like, okay, well, we still don't know what's causing this. But she can, she can go back to work at, you know, her job, just not on a ship, basically. And that's why I was able to finish out the rest of my, um, sorry, not deployment, but the rest of my enlistment was because I could, st I was a great worker, so I was able to still be of service to the government, mm -hmm. just not on a ship, right? Um, but it was very frustrating because um, they, they gave up on trying to help me, though. You know, it was kind of just like, well well, we're just gonna, we, we're, we're not gonna really make any more effort to try to figure out what's going on, what's the real root cause of this problem to try to, like, actually help cure you of it or, or you know, resolve it, whatever kind of word we want to use. It was kind of just like, okay, well, we're, we're just gonna leave it at that. We're not gonna go beyond. We're not gonna make any extra effort, and we're just gonna, you're gonna still be able to make money for the government, just not in, in like, on a ship, basically. Yeah. And that was frustrating. <laughs> Going into um, how this um, how this comes into play with more personal relationships, such as like with boyfriends, right? Because you know, in the Navy, I was having boyfriends, and by the time that I had my own apartment, you know, um, I was able to have even more things to be anxious about, as far as like wanting to make sure my apartment didn't have some kind of lingering smell. Um, and then, of course, when I would eventually have boys over and have, you know. Um, or I shouldn't even say boys, when I would have gentlemen callers, you know, um, when I would have men over. Um, Adult and then, sleepovers. Yeah, and when I would have uh, a boyfriend and when he would, if he was staying the night. Um, and there was definitely, because for a time it wasn't something that I would ever have to bring up in a boyfriend situation when I was in high school. So, you know, by the time that I was out on my own in the Navy and I had my first kind of serious boyfriend I really, I had never had to have that conversation before, so I was really nervous about how to bring it up. 
Um, and I think even even though I kind of knew that I, I should talk about it before I had to talk about it because it became an obvious elephant in the room kind of thing, I think, unfortunately, I think um, we had slept together where it ended up happening and then I had to kind of, like, talk about it after the fact. And then he was kind of like, yeah, I kind of noticed. And so there's, like, already that awkwardness. But I'm so thankful and so grateful that um, almost almost every single one of the boyfriends that who I have had, who I have told, or who have found out um, about, you know, this uh, that I struggle with, bedwetting, they almost all of them have been really, really supportive and um, really wonderful and not judgmental about it for the most part. And so that first boyfriend who I had to have that conversation with, um, yeah, he was quite supportive about it and didn't make me feel bad about it at all. And so part of the tough thing is that even though almost all of the boyfriends I've had and, you know, have talked to them about it, they've all handled it and, like, taken it really well, it's like no matter how much they tell me that they don't have a problem with it or that it doesn't bother them or that they don't think that I stink or they don't, you know, whatever, um, unfortunately there's, I still struggle with coming from myself, coming from internally, you know, um, struggling with those feelings of, like, just being really self-conscious about that and being, like, um, even if they say it doesn't bother them, you know, times when I'm, I'm, you know, in the middle of the night and sleeping with my boyfriend and then I wake up because I've had an accident and then I have to wake him up too mm. and then we both have to get up or, you know, change the sheets or do whatever or, um, just do whatever we have to do to deal with it and I feel uh, even worse because then I've disrupted their sleep too and so it's just it's a struggle because it's like even if they can be super supportive and non-judgmental about it and tell me like really don't worry about it it's it's fine but unfortunately there's still from me from inside there's still that like just uh, frustration and disappointment and uh, just really just unhappiness with the whole, the whole situation. And it also, you know, has really affected in terms of, like, how I see myself and the way that I think about myself as far as feeling like an adult, um, feeling, like, fully grown up and fully, like, in control of my life. Yeah, it's, it's a huge kind of thing that's affected me. You know, it, it's quite a basic human function. Mm. Um, and so it really does, uh, it can seem so simple and so kind of, like, because it's so basic, you know? It can seem so kind of like, well, you know, it's just piss, you know, it's just part of being human. It's like, you know, like farting or whatever. And it's kind of like, well, you know, whatever. It's part of being human, right? Which I appreciate. But then part of that's also like, ugh, but it's so much more frustrating because then it's like, it's so simple. So why is it something that I have, you know, at least when I'm asleep, no control over, um, seemingly. And then, yeah, because it's so so much associated with something that only children struggle with, yeah, it's, it's really affected me in terms of just feeling like I'm grown. Um, and then, you know, with, uh, with, or within relationships, you know, not wanting to wear depends every night to bed if I'm in a relationship with a guy just because it really doesn't feel sexy, you know, and just the way that it makes me view myself and, um, how I think about myself, um, it's, it's really quite a struggle. It's a struggle to, to feel sexy going to bed wearing Depends, um, and to feel 
to feel good about myself sometimes because of that. Um, and, uh, and sometimes just uh, feeling like because it's so rarely talked about, also that just feeling that, you know, um, getting that impression that, you know, nobody else is really dealing, having to deal with something like this. And so that's part of the reason that I'm talking about it on this podcast is so that to hopefully uh, start discussions and be able to connect with other people and, you know, so we can uh, find solace in one another knowing that we're not the only ones dealing with these kind of uh, daily life struggles. And so, yeah, this, um, you know, the way that this, this issue, this problem has caused me to struggle in terms of how I see myself and my relationship with my body, I'm reeling that it's just, I'm learning that it's just one part of this big, epic, really, really complicated journey that I am on uh, to loving and fully accepting my body and everything about it. And um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of frustration because um, sometimes, you know, uh, and, and I think that a lot of people with, you know, varying chronic conditions can relate to this, where it feels like your body is working against you, or where it feels like you're in this struggle with your body, where you're just like, I just need you to cooperate with me, body. Can you just like work with me? Can you just cooperate with me? And, um, and I recognize that a lot of people with different chronic conditions could be you know, dealing with something way, way, way worse, way more painful or way more um, scary than just, you know, um, not having control of your bladder at night. But yeah, it's definitely frustrating and it's definitely, it makes it difficult. Um, it's just another added factor in terms of like the complicatedness when it comes to my relationship with my body. Um, that made me think of something else that um, in terms of uh, the way I viewed this, from, from my uh, perspective spiritually. Um, when I was at my most dedicated church-going Christianiness, I, I did a lot of praying, of, have, of being prayed for, and there was law, um, you know, in, in evangelical Christianity and in many forms of Christianity, there's lots of talk about healing and of, of the power of God and the power of Holy Spirit and the power of Christ to heal us. And, you know, by, by Jesus' stripes, we are here healed and all of this good stuff. And, and talking about receiving the healing that has already been given to us in Christ, right? And so, uh, throughout the different churches that I was going to in my young adulthood during this time when I was in San Diego and when I was um, wanting to get better and then eventually thinking that I might still have a chance to go back to a ship and do my job, there was definitely a lot of frustration with God, you know? Um... Back when I, I thought about God a bit differently than the way I think about God now, and when I was, I guess you could say, more of a, more of a church-going Christian, and I had so much frustration because I was like, God, why, why am I, why is this happening to me? Why can't you cure me of this? Why am, why is this still happening to me? When am I going to be free of this? When is this going to be over? You know, and and just so much uh, among all, all of the other things that I was questioning God with about why this, why that. Yeah, just being like, why, why did you even, if you love me, if you're this God who loves me so much, why did you, why do I have, why am I living with this? Why do I have this burden? Why did you curse me with this, you know? Um, and just really struggling with that, you know, and struggling with uh, the idea of God loving me and loving myself. Um, in terms of just that struggling with that physical condition 
and I was able to kind of entertain this idea back then, but I was still very frustrated about it. The idea that like, okay, well maybe God um, is allow not that he gave me this affliction, right? Because that's, you know, because that's how evangelicals mm -hmm. think. Um, is that God, you know, and not that I disagree, but like that, you know, God doesn't give you any burden. He just allows, he allows you to wrestle with it or whatever, right? He allows Satan to challenge you and is like, okay, well you can handle that. So I'm going to let you, I'm going to just let you deal with that. And so hearing, hearing the concept of like, um, God has allowed you to be challenged by this affliction, for your own growth because it's going to bring about his glory, right? Um, mm -hmm. And that's frustrating as well, right? Um, <laughs> you know, it's not really the answer that you want to hear, but I was able to be like, okay, well, if it's for God's glory, then like, you know, maybe I can keep living with this and maybe I'm supposed to use this to like help other people or something, right? And over the years, I've kind of yeah. taken that and have been able to wrestle with it and morph it. And I'm at the point now where even even when I think about God in slightly different terms, I'm, and as I was saying, I'm, I'm at a place where I'm at, a, I'm have a bit more peace when it comes to the way that I think about my body and the way that I think about this condition in realizing that it's a medical condition and just being able to think about it objectively in that way. And I'm also, I'm just at the point where I'm like, okay, well, I know that there's a reason, kind of as I was saying, that I, I have all these different ways that make me so different, you know, um, this being one of them, I've kind of had to come to the realization of like, okay, well, it must be for a reason, right? Because uh, <laughs> otherwise, I mean, the alternative is kind of just a bit too depressing to think about, really, so... Um, I'm like, okay, well, there must be a reason that I'm like, I, 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 I look like this and I think like this and I have to deal with this, you know, maybe there's a reason for it. All these things that I, that I have been dissatisfied and frustrated with over my whole life, maybe there's a reason for it. Like my hypersensitivity and, and all of that good stuff. And just coming to realize that, you know, like Mr. Rogers says, there's only one you and no one can be you in the way that you can be you. So no one can be me in the way that I can be me and realizing that, you know, that um, there's no one like me that like, you know, that I have a purpose. There's a reason I was put into this body in this period of history, in this part of the world, in this time and all that good stuff. Like that there has to be a purpose, right? So, yeah. Um, I'm being super long-winded and getting to my point, but the point that I'm trying to make is that I guess my way of finding peace and my way of being able to become comfortable enough with talking about this to be able to be brave and vulnerable enough to, to talk about it on a podcast, you know, and to, to let the masses know is because um, I'm realizing that the responsibility that I have um, of, of living the life that I have lived so far and in this body in this time and all of that good stuff, right? I have a responsibility to use this life, this experience, and I realize that if, you know, if I'm, a, if I'm in experience a lot, excuse me, I can speak, I swear I can. If I'm experiencing a life as I seem to be, which, uh, experiences so many extremes, right? then I feel is, is it's my contribution to the human 
condition to, to humanity to kind of like share that experience in order for us to make up a more whole and comprehensive idea of everything that humanity can be. Does that make any sense at all? I'm getting I'm getting real philosophical here, but um, it totally <laughs> does. I can and I can I can say it in, in different words. What too. I think, um, you know what? Well, and I'll even flip the script a little bit. I'd say you're you're bringing it on one level. It's like yes this is we're painting a picture of what it looks like the experience what the experience of being human looks mm. like and one of the things about i would say about knowing god is like we can't can't have a clear vision or a clear picture of god without first kind of getting a picture of ourselves i was listening mm. to the road back to us uh, for our Enneagram episode that will yes. be coming up shortly. Coming up. Coming up. Stay tuned. Th- that was brought up that in order to know, even have a semblance of an idea of, of who God is, we, we kind of need to start with knowing ourselves, mm. which I think feeds right into what you're getting at. And so I would even take that a step higher and say that if, we believe, if, if as Christians, we say we believe in a God who, you know, uh, blessed us with his image, that, that image is being reflected in multiple ways. One of the things my Bible study does is like name out these attributes of God and use all these descriptors for him. And if we think about it, it's like he's giving us he's allowing us to participate Mm -hmm. in sharing those attributes. Mm -hmm. And I would say in this, you know, past hour or so you've called out vulnerability and truth and also just accepting, accepting our weaknesses and our bodies. And I think one of that, that's a really powerful image of how we experience God because I believe in a God who had a physical body Mm. and died a real death and felt real pain and you know with us actually you know experienced all the things that we go through maybe Jesus even had a UTI right yeah you know and um and I think think of questions that might be helpful for, I'm getting towards the end of my notes too, but yeah, I'm just trying to think questions? of some that could be helpful as like conversation enders, mm-hmm. but we can get to those when you finish out your. Because I yeah. feel like we're starting, we're starting to. Yeah, um, I think I've I've kind of gotten to where I'm at now because uh, you know things uh, in terms of like how the condition has progressed since I was in the Navy. I would say that it really hasn't changed all that much. Um, I've gotten a bit better over the years when it comes to, like, um, trying to implement the things that I learned over the years from physical therapy, from yoga, from chiropractic, just diet, whatever, all, you know, different lifestyle things. Um, Implementing the things that I know can be helpful and then being, you know, uh, recognizing when stuff is going on um, that I know just makes it more likely for me to have an accident. Um, for instance, when I'm on my period, it's more likely that I'm going to have an accident. 
Oh, that was something I wanted to talk about before I forgot. Especially when I was in the military, when I was in boot camp, there was so much emphasis on hydrating because they don't want you to get heat stroke and then sue them. So they put, they, they have this whole thing of just like hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. And so you had to have a minimum of so many canteens of water every day or you would be in trouble. Like they would punish you if you didn't hydrate enough. Um, anyway, the point was, Great, and hydrating is great and all, and especially because of my kidney, I had, I needed to hydrate, right? Because I needed to be drinking plenty of water to take care of my kidneys. But unfortunately, this was, this ended up being just another vicious cycle that I encounter in my life of the more water I drink, yes, it's helpful for my kidney, but it makes me even more likely to have an accident because unfortunately, when I was drinking, if I was drinking the amount of water that the, the boot camp, <laughs> that the military was requiring me to drink, then I was literally using the bathroom every five minutes. I, I'm sorry, every like 15 minutes. Um, pretty, yeah, that was pretty accurate, pretty strict, like at least every 15 minutes. Um, and again, thought that that was just ha from having a small bladder for a long time, but come to find out, it's, my bladder's not small, it's just hyperactive. Anyway, um, but yeah, that's something that I still struggle with because, you know, it's not as if boot camp was the only time that I had to stay hydrated, and so that's just something that I struggle with is this vicious cycle of wanting to drink the amount of water that I should be drinking for health reasons, but then that means that I'm using the restroom, like, really, really frequently, and then unfortunately I have to kind of pay attention because if I'm using it uh, really, really, really frequently, then that's something I have to be careful about because it could be a symptom of having a UTI because, um, that's also something that I would still have recurring happen over the years. And, um, I actually counted because there were other kind of, like, uh, stuff that happened with, like, my medical status when I was in the Navy. And so, um, I had to go through my medical records and I found out that I had had pretty much, uh, I think nine UTIs in the span of four years um and that's not normal <laughs> you know that's just not uh, even even people who have maybe had like a good number of utis in their life can you know it might be like three over the course of five years or something like that right but nine over the course of four years um yeah it was just not okay and um uh i came to realize that a big part of that was just like the stress and um, the unpredictable scheduling uh, when it came to like the, the lifestyle on a ship, but the stress of military lifestyle especially, then it, it made me realize how big of a factor just like stress was in terms of my health, in terms of having accidents, but also um, being uh, susceptible to infection for whatever reason. What I'm, man, kind of realizing is just going through all this is like you basically went from one stressful situation to another mm -hmm. and um something that people will say sometimes when it comes to the military <clears throat> and i could maybe talk about this more on another episode where i just kind of talk more about my military career in general but people do talk about the military as being like another substitute for your parents like it's another kind of parent Basically. And there's, there's some truth to that for sure, because yeah. the government's kind of your parent, which is uh, good and bad. <laughs> but not to get, not to open up that whole can of worms, but no. yeah. Well, um, what would you, and, and, and I'm seeing the, I mean, just the themes of structure 
and stability. Stability really being a helpful thing, but sometimes how much we want to structure or overstructure can, it feels like in your story, that can be a deterrent. That can really do some harm when you try to put yourself or put your body into a structure that's really not meeting its needs. And it's fun to realize things as we talk about them because, you know, what you're saying is helping me to realize things about what I was just talking about. And I realized that I think I I talked a lot about vulnerability Mm -hmm. and a lot about structure. And I'm kind of putting together based off what you just said that like, um, where there was stability and structure and also some room for vulnerability that helped like when I was in high school and my stepmom was able to kind of like be vulnerable with me in the way that she helped me but then yeah in the military even if there was structure in some ways because of the the lifestyle being very structured and all of that and stability in the terms in terms of routine there was no vulnerability there was no room for vulnerability there was no room for failure there was no room for being human there was no room for having problems and the last thing that you want to be is the the problem child the pro- yeah. the person in the division or the person who's sticking out as having an issue um, and then that carries on into your whole, the rest of your career, when you're in training school, when you're on your first, um, command, when you're on the, sh- you know, you don't want to call attention to yourself as being the, whether it's behavioral, physical, mental, but yeah, just to say that, um, it's hard on everyone. It is. And so, yeah, having, having no vulnerability, but having that structure, unfortunately, it just created more and more stress, which my body, you know, did not respond well to. Um, as bodies tend to do. Yeah. Do you um, have more notes, or? That was kind of, that's okay. pretty much all that I had written down as far as notes. And I guess, um, you know, coming, just coming back around to full circle to kind of like where I'm at today, obviously <laughs> I'm speaking about this on a podcast that, you know, may end up being listened to by many people. And some of whom, you know, might be listening to this because they already know me. So, you know, friends might be listening to this who maybe knew me in school and maybe didn't know about this. Um, And I feel grateful to be able to finally um, just come... It feels like coming clean about what I've been living with my whole life. And I'm trying to get away from talking about it as a curse or as a problem Um, even though that's kind of what it was, how it was referred to growing up a lot of the time. It's a, it's a medical condition and it's something that I deal with, you know, I deal with it. I live with it. I manage it. I, it's, I struggle with it because it's still a struggle a lot of the time and it's not fun and it's frustrating and I still feel frustrated and, and, um, you know, I still struggle with like uh, keeping a loving self-dialogue with my body that's something I'm still working on is speaking more kindly to my body and trying to heal just all all of the uh the hatred and the discord that has happened between myself and my body over the years um so yeah it's something that I live with and I'm dealing with it and I'm growing with it and um you know I I've been able to learn what kind of things help and I'm able to, I think the, the reason I've, I've been able to heal a lot of the shame that I've had about it for so long, I still do have some, and it, like I said, this is a journey, but um, it's because it took me a long time to be able to just realize and accept, like, this is a medical thing, and 
uh, my mind and body are connected. So yes, there's, um, you know, it influences, you know, how my mentality is and how my, how I am psychologically definitely influences, um, this condition. But, you know, that's, that's the case with a lot of medical conditions and they're still medical conditions, you know, it's still a physiological kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I definitely noticed that when I'm, yeah, in general, when I'm a bit more confident, when I'm a bit more relaxed, when I'm not in like high, high stress, anxiety kind of, uh, period of my life, then my accidents are reduced quite a lot and I'll maybe only have like, you know, I might go two, two weeks, three weeks without having one. Um, and you know, but for the most part, I would say at best, I maybe have like one a week just in general still to this day. And, um, you know, at, at worst, it means that I have a lot of laundry that I'm doing. Um, probably just a lot more laundry than most people do. And I I have to have a lot of bedding just because I I may have to change my bedding, you know, um, a few times a week, uh, sometimes. And so it's, it's just a bit of, it just makes some things about daily life a little bit more inconvenient. And then, you know, um, the, definitely the sleep, you know, it impacting my sleep when I, I kind of already have to make sure I'm getting more sleep in the first place. Um, so it can be tough. And that's something that really does probably affect my life more than anything else is just how it affects my sleep because my sleep quality then affects my mood quality and my just mental clarity and just everything else, you know, because we all know how we are when we don't get the amount of sleep that we need. And especially once you've gotten in, in touch with your body enough to know how much sleep that you need and, and get, you know, really in tune with yourself in that way. Um, so just sometimes being late to work a lot of the time because I hadn't gotten enough sleep and things like that. That's that's been something that I've struggled with in the past. Um, and then having to kind of like explain to people like, um, this is something that I deal with um, sometimes and that's a factor, yeah. you know? Um, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's part, this is part of my journey of just healing my relationship with my body and being able to kind of uh, work with um, accepting my body the way that it is, which is very, very difficult, especially when, you know, if you, when you have a problem or a, a, not a problem, but you know, when you have a condition or, or something like this, where your body, uh, is seemingly not able to do the most simple basic function that everybody else doesn't have a problem with. There's so much frustration, as I've mentioned, you know, throughout this discussion, just like feeling so frustrated so often. And um, one of these lessons that I'm realizing is like a life lesson, a big picture life lesson that applies to probably every area of life is learning to just accept things instead of resisting them, right? Which is a struggle for me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I think is a struggle for many of us because especially when we just want things to be the way that we think they should be, which is me, I'm so much of an idealist and and especially when it comes to my body, as I was saying before, feeling like your body's not cooperating with you, like your body's not working with you, and just having so much frustration. Um, so it, it has been a struggle, and it's only been recently in the last few years that I've really um, become more intentional and made more efforts to just learn to accept my body for everything that it is and everything that it isn't and just thank it for everything that it's been through and everything that it has endured. Because y'all, my kidneys still work. Like my left kidney is still going at like 20% and whatever it is. My right kidney is still keeping, you know, pulling most of the slack. 
but they're together, they're making it work, and, you yeah. know, I'm doing my best to take care of my kidneys, like, um, that's another thing, is, like, I don't drink that much, and, you know, being in the military, being in the Navy, anyone who, who knows a little bit about it will know that they're, that's, like, Alcoholics Anonymous is, like, you know, um, and there's, uh, it's kind of, you're kind of predisposed to, uh, let those things become part of your lifestyle, and it's just that much easier for them to become addictions if you let it get out of hand. You know, I, I enjoy, I only drink for enjoyment, so it's like I have to really enjoy the taste of what I'm drinking, or just like a nice glass of wine, but I guess I'm very thankful that um, I have not been able to uh, use alcohol to numb and to, to self-medicate in that way, because, uh, you know, it's, there, uh, there's so many things to self-medicate about, <laughs> and alcohol yeah. is one of the easiest, most accessible, and most socially accepted things to self-medicate and to numb with, um, but it's also, unfortunately, one of the most deadly and most damaging, and just, it's, uh, there's a reason they call it spirits, folks. Just, uh, just think about that. Anyway, so all that in moderation, but yeah, it's just another thing where it's like my body won't let me do things the way other people can do them. And it turns out that that's not always a bad thing. Yeah. Sorry. So, it's okay. So, some thoughts that I I just want to, that I think I'm hearing, that I guess I, guess I just want to reiterate for the podcast. Number one, kind of changing the language that we use around this. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of negative language. Yeah, for sure. Associated, it was a problem. Yeah. It was something you had to manage, keep under control. Yeah. And when we you introduced the idea of vulnerability, finally kind of peeking through, that kind of gave a new bit of language for you need to treat this gently. And and also, my other thought was really that um, to really see this type of issue in the light of a holistic thing Mm -hmm. it's not it is a medical issue as you Mm -hmm. said but it's also a medical issue that's connected to your mental health it's connected to your emotional health Mm -hmm. and And western and western medicine was really only able to help you so much yeah and there was a lot of other things that had to be introduced in order for you to really understand the scope, the bigger scope of what was really happening to your yeah, body. Exactly. They were only able to help me to a certain extent and they were only willing to help me to a certain extent as well. Unfortunately, there was definitely this like uh, general thing of like, well, you might, you're just gonna, ha- you should just prepare yourself to have to live, deal with this the rest of your life. Basically, it's just like, you know, they just couldn't be bothered to try to dig deeper into it. I guess it didn't seem important enough to them. Yeah. So what would you, for people who are struggling with this, but also maybe for parents who, mm-hmm. you know, if we could go back and talk to mom and dad 20 years ago when they're, when they are at their wits and they don't know what to do. And maybe there are parents out there who um, are dealing with this or people obviously also in adulthood who are dealing with this, what would you want them to know having experienced everything that you've just talked about? Yeah. Um, I think it's really important to, um, 
think about if this is happening to your child, talking to them in a way where you are not putting a judgment on them, you know, um, that's really important. So if, if this is happening to your child, you know, um, and I kind of just like make sure that you're speaking to them in a way where they can, they, they're not going to feel like they've done something bad, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I don't know, maybe someone who's kind of like an expert in like young child development and potty training could have more specifics about like, you know, when you're doing potty training, what kind of language to use in terms of like praising for different behaviors and whatever. Um, but I guess maybe avoiding, you know, if they have an accident or if they don't make it to the restroom in time or something like that, you know, I, I don't think it could be helpful in any way to say you're bad or don't do that or you're a bad boy, you're a bad girl um, or like you did a no-no or something like that. You know, I think staying away from, from language like that where there's judgments or where there's a negative kind of... Uh, disposition or something like that um I, um just uh be a partner to your child so like if it's if they wake up in the morning and and they've had an accident and maybe they they come to you and they tell you about it you know they have been brave to come to you and tell you about it um and if it's happened before and depending on the way that you reacted to it in the past if they're coming to you if they're coming to you and telling you mommy, daddy, I had an accident, then, you know, definitely take into consideration, you know, uh, what kind of risk it was for them, how brave they may have had to be in order to bring that to you, depending on the way that you responded to it, if it happened in the past. But if it hasn't happened before, then that's a fresh, clean slate for you to, you know, um, avoid imprinting them that idea of, like, you are bad because you had an accident, you know? Mm-hmm. Um you know, I think that's an opportunity for you to be like, okay, this happened, right? And it's not you did this, um, or you had, or even you had an accident. It's okay, this happened. Um, okay, so this is what we do. We're gonna change the sheets, you know, and this is how we do this, you know, and make it something that you can both, you can, it can be a teaching moment and you participate in working together. Um, and from my, my, um, Beck say, you know, a family friend of ours and sort of a, um, another sort of mother figure who has been in, in our lives. Becky's um, been my mentor since I was 11 years old, so. Yeah, and she's been a very great. 20 years now. A great influence in our lives, and yeah. there was a time where we spent the night over there, and, um, and unfortunately I had an accident in their, you know, one of their guest rooms, or, you know, it was like one of their grown-up children's bedrooms, and I forget if I told Becky about it or if she found out, but I wouldn't have been, I tried to, if I didn't tell her about it and tried to just deny it and pretend like it never happened. And then she yeah. brought it up and we talked about it. But I just remember that the way she dealt with it, you know, I was afraid that she was going to be upset and I was going to be in trouble, right? Because that yeah. had been my whole the- experience. And, um, but the way Becky handled it, she was just so, you know, she was like, okay, yep. Yeah, it happened and this three and that was it you know we she like I, I helped her do the laundry and she was like okay it's fine but you have to uh, you know don't don't hide it don't pretend like it didn't happen you just you know uh, 
take responsibility for it or whatever and, you know, clean up after yourself, basically, which is uh, such, it's, it was a great modeling of like, okay, this is how you handle this as you get older and as you're maturing, you know, because I wasn't, I was getting to be a preteen mm. at that time, so it's not like I was a little kid anymore, and it was just really helpful for her, for her to be like, okay, you know, it's fine, you, you know, don't lie, don't, don't deny it, don't lie about it. Because it's not, it's not like you did anything wrong, but just this is how we deal with it. And you're getting older, so, you know, when it happens, just deal with it, you know? Like, take, clean, clean it up. Yeah. Don't feel like you have to hide it, but, you know, if it's in someone else's house, then you have to kind of tell them about it. And unfortunately, um, that was a lesson that didn't stick right away, because even when I was in the Navy, unfortunately, um, uh, there were times where I, yeah, I still didn't feel like I could... Um, fess up or, or take ownership of it and take responsibility and, and clean up my messes because I was still just so focused on, um, you know, not wanting to be found out, you know, like wanting to keep it a secret and feeling like I had to hide it. And uh, so, yeah, it took a long time for for me, especially when it came to like sleeping over at other people's houses and like worrying about having accidents in other people's on other people's property, on other people's bed, you know. Um, and then how do I, you know, how do I offer to do their laundry for them or whatever, you know, things like that. It's just always awkward. Um, but yeah, there, there are definitely ways that, that you can um, address it and make it clear that, that, you know, this person, whether it's a child or a friend or whomever, that they're no less worthy you know, that it's not, it's, that it hasn't brought their status into question in terms of the relationship, whatever kind of relationship that may be, you know, just that like, you know, this doesn't make you any less, yeah. this doesn't affect how I, how I see you or how I view you or how much I love you or, or anything like that's, you know, really what, at the end of the day, that's really what you're, what I'm worried about, what I'm worried about is like, am I good, am I bad? And how are you going to see me now if, if this makes me good or bad, you know? If I'm bad because I'm having these accidents. And yeah. then how does that how does that put me at risk when it comes to my relationships? So yeah, um, and that kind of goes back to just Brene Brown and her whole thing with shame. And, um, and, you know, talking about the difference between shame and guilt and things like, you know, shame is I am bad and guilt is I did bad. Whereas, mm. and that's even more complicated in this case, because if it's something that you're, that's happening to your body that you don't have control over, it's not like it's a mistake, you know, it's not like something that you're doing that's bad. But yeah, there were times when I, you know, even if it was something that was happening to me that wasn't my fault, if I wasn't honest with, you know, someone about having an accident or something, then it was like, um, created a problem simply because I was too afraid to um, be honest about it, you know? So it's really tough. It's really complicated, but definitely just letting whoever it is in your life that's dealing with this, letting them know that, you know, that they are not bad because this is happening to them. Mm -hmm. Um, and really acknowledging that this is something that they're dealing with, that they don't have control over. Um, even if they can figure out certain things that help at the end of the day, it's, there's very little control that we have over, over this problem, at least in my experience. And, um, and, and just, you know, people just being aware of that and kind of just, uh, trying to empathize with that. 
and just trying to put themselves in our shoes and think about, you know, how, how we feel having to live with this, you know? So, uh, yeah. Exactly. It's like, of all the people this is inconveniencing or, you know, causing, it's, at the end of the day, it's like, you're the one who is dealing with it the most. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. yeah. It'll, uh, it's, it's, it'll, it'll fuck you all up. But, you know, we turned out just fine. We turned out just fine. So, <laughs> well, so yeah, this is, thank you for tuning in. Yeah, thank you guys for listening. And this was a, I know this was a bit of a long discussion, um, but it's something that's really important and it's something that's very close to my heart and it's something that we felt was very important to kind of talk about on a larger scale. And I really hope that this will uh, create opportunity to have other people reach out and tell their story if they have a similar story, similar kind of anything like that. But if you have just like a chronic condition that you struggle with that affects your daily life and you can, you know, relate, please, you know, feel free to reach out. Um, and yeah, we hope that that by me kind of like being vulnerable and sharing this this thing that I've been struggling with my whole life, that that will in turn... Um, encourage others to be able to be vulnerable and to talk about, you know, their their things that they struggle with. Sure. And Lydia, no, still again, it's like, I want to say, like, this was something up until very recently, I remember this is not something you wanted to talk about. And so the fact that you, you brought this up and said, I want to talk about yeah. this, and just that alone makes yeah. you so brave for bringing this up and I just want to commend that because this was a a very deep source of shame that you know and our family kind of complied with it we were like yeah Mm -hmm. we're not going to talk about it we don't want to embarrass but also we don't really want to deal with the Mm -hmm. extent of the problem and it's important to it, it's important to note that you were the one who wanted to step out in Thank this you. way and as your sister and representing the rest of our family we love yeah. you and we want to no it's true it's like obviously we want to support everybody but and also learn to love each other better one yeah. of the things I think is really important about this podcast is like saying we actually just want to learn how to love each other in the ways that we need and that actually I that actually starts in our relationship with our families and has been a journey like that we have been on for a long time that's very true yeah. Yeah. And in the end, we turned out fine. <laughs> so thank you, uh, everybody. This is what this podcast is going to be about, mm-hmm. pretty much. We're getting so right into the tough shit. Let's just go right there, and thank you so much for tuning in. Please mm-hmm. subscribe. Please leave a comment if this is a discussion that you want to be a part of. We really hope that we can create a conversation here. Yeah, you can reach out to us on Instagram at WTOF podcast. You can reach us on Twitter at We Turned Out Fine. You can go to our website, WeTurnedOutFine.com, or email us at WeTurnedOutFine at gmail.com.